Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast. Over and out. I believe that it's okay. All right, but we're live. My analytics are telling me excellent connection, and uh, we'll just wait to see if someone tells us something's broken, which okay. probably is the case, but whatever. How you doing, Elliot? I'm doing good. How does um, it feel to be in Albuquerque with me? Uh, it feels good to be in the real America. Am I right? Yes, <laughs> the, heart, the heart of America. This, is this the real America? Yes, I am the heart of America. Uh, real America is wherever Justin Murphy is. <laughs> Can people confirm that they're like hearing us and seeing us okay? Um, I think there's a delay, at least. Um, yeah, there's always a delay. That's uh, normal okay. and correct. But uh, I want to make sure that the uh, everything's working. <laughs> Noah, Drama Mineralis, who's all in the house. I just want to make sure. I just want some confirmation that people are hearing us and seeing us okay. Oh. Uh, Fuck, I might have had to, uh, I might have actually, see. I think I started a new one by accident. <laughs> kind of an idiot. Uh, oh, yeah, it's 37 seconds long. The old one, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of restarted it here. I'm going to send you another, <laughs> another link. Yeah, this is pretty okay. dumb, but okay. It's okay. I'm going to. People will deal with it. Um, all right, all right. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to fix the link. All right, everything. Is working fine. Excellent. People say they can hear and see. That's oh, good. Okay. Um, is there? There's a. I'm uh, Elliot. I'm sending you the link to give to your people. All right. I'll I'll switch the link out. Yeah. You should like uh, delete your old one. People okay. will get confused. Sorry. Sorry, folks. Blame me. Not Elliot's fault. All right. This one's got a nice thumbnail of us. Oh, that's that's cute. <laughs> Let's see. All right. Link. People say they can hear and see. New link, old link, broken. There. My uh, my there. system is telling me excellent stream health. Yeah. No, there weren't that many people on the last one anyway, so they'll move over. It's no big deal. Okay. All right, this is... That's done. All right. All right, folks, we have the uh, live chat here in... In, in sight of both of us. So uh, if you want to chime in, you know, we're looking at it. And uh, yeah, so Elliot has been here with his girlfriend for uh, more than 24 hours now. This is true. We've been hanging out. It's been cool. Show them your uh, new bracelet. Oh, I got a, I got a, I got a bow guard. Is that what it's called? It's a, yeah, it's a bow guard. So if you, if you shoot a bow and arrow, it will guard your wrist. Nice. Yeah. And I got it in combination with these, which is the journey through life. So I figured if you have a Bogard and you have the journey for life symbols, together you have um you have like a shaman type. Wow. Right? So I figured that was that was that was the magic I was trying to conjure up here. I never knew from the internet that you were like so blingy. I was so blingy? Yeah, you got a lot of bling, dude. 
It's cool. It's cool. I just didn't. I'm just saying. I didn't realize that from the internet. I could not deduce that from the from your internet presence. I'd say I'd say the bling the bling level varies. Doesn't it? It varies. I think when I'm wearing a polo shirt, it do, I don't look very I don't look very blingy when I have a polo shirt. You take like, your you but, take your but I've been wearing. Off. Well, no, but you you have to tuck it in, and you're wearing a polo and a suit, so there's a, there's a limit to, you know. Okay. Once you're wearing a polo and a suit, you're solidly out of uh, the bling zone. So why don't since you 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 were adamant about retitling this to Ethics of the Retro Future so versus think, other yeah versus other life with Elliot Rosenstock yeah I'm very uncreative with titles but since you <laughs> since you were adamant about this I want to invite you to uh, kick us off with what the fuck did you mean by that <laughs> what the fuck did I mean by the Ethics of the Retro Future well okay. if you're talking accelerationism and what your you were your sort of focus on ethics of okay. what of what the ethics of Futurism means and how it relates to the ethics of uh, sort of traditional contra, I guess, mo- modern individualist sort of neoliberal ethics. Okay. Um, that that's sort of where I wanted to think. What should the ethics of the retro future be? And then sort of adding to that is if retro futurism is sort of this inevitable process of we're always simultaneously gra- uh, grappling with the. Um, with the future and the past. So there's sort of this, I think uh, Cernicek wrote about it, which is the ethic, uh, which is inevitable retro futurism. I'm a, I'm a big Cernicek stan. Um, <laughs> okay. But I, but I, I sort of agree with the logic behind that, which is we're sort of, we're sort of doomed to um, retro futurism kind of contra to what Land talked about, which is his Sino futurism, which is the future is in China and Shanghai is sort of the location of the future, right? Um, I, I believe more in the retro future. Hmm. Damn, dude, I would be happy enough with an ethics for the present, let alone the future and the past and the retro future. But I'm open to this idea. But what if the present is only retro future? You can't actually, you can't grasp the present as a signifier. That's that's the issue. Is what is the present moment? Mm. Right, so you're always sort of tell me more. You're always by by to find the present. You sort of have to create the retro future, or you should you should you should circle the future and circle the past and sort of recognize what you're doing by if you try to find an ethics of the present, uh, you're really sort of grappling with this creation of the retro future. Mm. The will have been. Is that the, what you the, mean by the retro? The will future? have been. The will have been the hyperstition, but no. Also, what will be, what was, and that sort of dialectic creates creates sort of the present. There is no present outside of the past and the future, in sort of absolute time sense. Hmm. I don't have as much of a galaxy brain as you. I'm already lost. Let's break I, it down. Let's break okay, it down for the okay. people. Let's break it down for the masses, Elliot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, let's, okay. Let's, let's warm up. How about that? With a, I think you should tell the story you told me last night about your epic dose (laughs) of the epic dose story. Just in, in general, this is, you know, many, many years in the past. Great story though. Let's start with that. If you want to, you don't have to. I I think it's awesome. Uh, Many years in the past, um, when I sort of quit the rave culture, you can even (laughs) say, I guess I guess I, I had a mushroom experience that was that was sort of um it, it's possible to sort of jolt yourself outside of the symbolic order totally 
And I think what I was talking to you and Jeffrey about was this, this, you can sort of look at psychosis as a cognitive error and then another one and then another one and then another one. (laughs) And I, and I think that's that when that happened to me, that's, that's sort of the space I was in. And then, uh, it was immediately cured by a Haldol, by a nice Haldol injection. So I got, I got the, I got the experience of being in, in treatment very up close and personal. And that's that, I feel like that's, that's a benefit for a therapist. I, I always sort of say it as a joke, but there's something you miss if you don't really, if you're not, if you've never been treated like, like, uh, like, like a mental patient, it's, I would say you're, you're, you have a tough task of being a therapist because you, you don't, you don't necessarily have the dialectic intuition. You sort of have to, you sort of have this question mark about who are these people coming to you. But I think I have a better can we, can understanding. we tell them more of the details of the story or is it private? I don't want, I don't mean to be, it's a little bit private, oh, okay. but, uh, but, uh, yeah, what, it, what, what, should, what, well, what, I, what particularly well, you, do you well, like? You're being about shy about story. it, but I think it's a really, <laughs> I think it's really fascinating. And honestly, like I thought it was, um, I, I, like if you're if you're kind of embarrassed or like worried about how you come off in it, I thought you came off as cool in the story. Like it made me kind of it, re- it kind of increased my respect for you in some <laughs> sense. It, ga- it gave me like more sense of your like street cred as a um, psychonaut. I think I I was sort of just off the deep end as a as a sort of lost undergraduate, and this is before any psychology training, um, any philosophy training. How old were you? <sighs> well, I would say from ages. <laughs> 14 to 22, but that particular incident, I was 22. Okay. That was the end. Yeah. So you're young. You're so young. I mean, it's nothing to be too like, so yeah. can we tell them the details of it? The de- the details of- We don't have to if you don't want. I'm not blowing up your spot. Well, well, in UC, well, in UC, UC Santa Cruz, there were lots of, there were lots of psychedelic aficionados. Mm. And when you're around a lot of psychedelic aficionados and they have a lot of psychedelics- you know, you ha- you have the idea of that maybe you should take them. <laughs> Hell yeah! And and I think I think um, the tendency is to to push it far past uh, the point of the rest of your life. <laughs> sort of, sort of, sort of folds away a little bit once you get a bit too into that sort of world and you also don't know what your future is going to be. Mm. So I think that's, that's the real danger of psychedelics and sort of a uh, younger people probably, which is when they don't have a sense of future, mm. I think it, it, it can, it can push people into, into various directions. It's pushed me in a good direction. I think, yeah, I think it can push other people in a not so good direction. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Well yeah. then, okay, we'll move on, but I just want to basically leave the audience with the following uh, message, which is, Last night we were like talking about we were just telling stories and stuff like that over the over the fire over the fireplace, and uh, yeah, Elliot t- just told this one story, and I did not know that Elliot is a very experienced psychonaut and has had some epic doses and like really epic challenging experiences uh, doing psychedelics, and I was like kind of impressed because I didn't really think of you as I, I didn't really like put you down as that type of person, so I was like, wow, interesting. I think now I I tend towards towards. Uh... The, sobriety, the, the so, sobriety, and the the sober symbolic order as the correct one to follow. I would say, even if you are, say, a psychonaut, mm. I would pitch to you uh, one of the things that will keep you from going off the deep end is sort of paying fidelity to uh, just a little bit to to the symbolic order of 
sober people. <laughs> Someone, Amanda Ward says you need a telos to focus on when getting high on psychedelics. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's an, there's an interesting point there. I don't know exactly what Amanda means by telos, but one thing I would say that I've thought of before is that I think it's good to, when you go into uh, a psychedelic experience to have, to start off with just some sense of like the, the main thing in your life you're trying to like work on or solve. I feel yeah. like, I don't, and, and when you actually start to trip, it doesn't, there's not like a very direct relationship between what you go into it trying to do. You immediately forget about all of that, but in a way it kind of does give a kind of like purpose or mission oriented aspect to it. And See, I think what I like to do was the exact opposite. Yeah. I like to have really bad reasons, like very impulsive, uh, intuitive uh, reasons. I see. <laughs> And you, you know, think, there, you think that's good or bad? I think maybe if you've tuned your intuition a little better, maybe it's maybe it's better. Mm. Um, and we were also talking the less, maybe the less exciting stuff is is that sort of process of tuning your intuition and sort of all you have is your intuition. Why does one sentence follow the next sentence? Because you intuit it should, and so that's that's sort of the real object of psychotherapy. Um, which is it's that sort of negative process of you're not necessarily pitching someone a philosophy like you might Justin or uh, other people, um, but you're sort of you sort of have this negative uh, process which is psychotherapy. So that mm-hmm. that's sort of what makes it very interesting. It's like it's like where the uh, what is it the the people who do short shorting in stocks. Yeah, it's like you have philosophy and then like psychotherapists are the people who short philosophy essentially. Huh. You can almost say, think about it. yeah, well, it's just sort of negative philo- philosophy of philosophy. But to short something means to basically place a bet on the failure of something. On the failure of rationality, for sure. So, yeah, so you think psychotherapists are betting on the inability of philosophy to solve problems. Is that kind of what you mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I want to paint a picture for people listening and watching this, by the way. You're sitting there with a notebook. Uh, kind of, You look like you're a therapist psychoanalyzing me. Yeah, I have you in here too. You have a nice, you have a nice abbreviation because I do the first. Um, you have notes on me. Uh, you have your your J U M U. Has a nice look to it. Jumu. I usually yeah, I tend to go. That's how I sort of abbreviate conversations. But yeah, this that I thought it was made me more in my comfort zone to have. I was like, I have the. I always keep the notebook on me. I might as well just nice. <laughs> All right, we got thirty eight people in the house. Not bad. But uh, you people should share it with your friends. This is hot shit live. That's true. Will never be seen again. That's people ha- tell everyone. Yeah, the ethics of the retro future. We're also, fi- subscribe to my channel, dipshits. There's someone in the chat who's called. Their name is Agency is stored in the balls. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty. That, funny. That's that. I think that's the the accelerationist X uh, psychoanalytic crew. Yeah. Eventually you'll get usernames like agency is stored in the balls. Oh yeah. So that reminds me, tell, <laughs> let's tell them the story about so, uh, another interesting thing I learned about you, Elliot, yesterday, because we've talked online a bunch of times and we're, you know, we have overlapping social circles on the internet. I've long been a kind of uh, sympathetic uh, observer of your internet projects because to me, you kind of represent this interesting niche in that you're a leftist and you, you're kind of closer, more socialized with the kind of zero books people than, than, than I tend to be, but you're very, you're interested in certain concepts that are far off the map of normal contemporary leftism, such as like egoism and individualism. So you've, you've always kind of uh, clearly to me represented someone who's 
just off on their own vectors, you know, and, and yeah. that's always what I'm looking for. So um, we had an interesting talk yesterday over coffee at the coffee shop where I got to learn more about your your kind of history, like on the internet and stuff like that. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Maybe we can uh, recapitulate some of that for people who are watching this because they know my channel, but maybe they don't know anything about you. Um, you are, you explained to me that kind of your main, one of your main kind of like internet uh, achievements or, or properties, if you will, to use a, a somewhat kind oh, of neoliberal word or whatever. Or Sterner is, word. It, yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Tell me more about that. But uh, you, you're the owner of a very large Facebook group uh, called Sigmund Freud's dank meme stash. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like how you, you threw it up in this very like lame way that I have to, that is I have that to recover lame? I was from. Trying to, I thought it's oh, cool. were you I hyping thought, it up? Oh, okay. oh yeah. No, no, I wouldn't, <laughs> dude, no, I wouldn't be talking about it. No. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that's, that was sort of, the idea which which was sort of bringing philosophy style discourse to psychology which seemed to be very stagnant and very sort of like like very very dull psych cops type right. would go online and talk psychology in this sort of very um very dry very scared way honestly mm. you could sort of see it there in their sort of scared mode mm. like trying not to, trying to say i don't know trying not to ruffle any Others. I heard something interesting the other day from my supervisor that said yeah. therapists are typically less ability they have less ability to deal with conflict. Hmm. And I was I was sort of talking about some tendency I saw, and they said, "Well, therapists usually can deal with conflict less than other people." Really? You'd think it'd be the opposite, right? But it should be the opposite. So, are people in your how many of the people in your like Facebook sphere are actual therapists? Probably very little, right? Very few. Mm, you'd be surprised. But a good handful. Um, the reason um, I mention it is because I, I think I think it's cool and interesting. Like uh, one of the kind of key themes of my show now is kind of it's kind of pivoting or evolving a little bit in that I'm increasingly interested in somewhat more practical stuff about like how people are maneuvering the internet and like the different tactics and just tendencies that you're seeing in terms of people carving out new types of creative intellectual niches on, yeah. on the internet. I'm interested in I'm getting more interested in the specifics and the the practicalities and the nitty gritty about like how people do that. So I find this genuinely very interesting. And I think a lot of my audience is kind of interested in hearing about these details. So would you mm -hmm. mind telling us a little bit about like how, yeah. how, how does one go about getting, how, how does one go about building a Facebook group say you that have has a hundred thousand people and almost a hundred thousand You have to feel in your gut that there's something missing from the discourse. And I always felt that and when I was an undergraduate, I said, man, I wish there was like a philosophy club mm. like that people could talk philosophy I never thought to make it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I had that capability. And now I could do something like that, but at the time. But so I always felt like there was, there was this group that was missing. And then I felt like for psychology, I really felt there was, there was something missing about what was available uh, to people to talk about and the type of discourse that I wanted to have and I couldn't have it. So then I sort of, made the place and then I took the signifiers dank meme stash, which other people have done after that and before that. Um, and, you know, people joined it and I think people, people joined it because the, di the discourse was interesting and the, initially I just flooded. I was the only person making content. Now it's mostly, I would say I can, I could probably totally not make content and it would still exist in this form. And it talks about, you know, Cognitive therapies, failings, uh, psychodynamic uh, therapy and Lacanian therapy and critiques of Jungian therapy mm -hmm. and people that stand Jung and all that. 
So it's, it's this very dynamic environment of people sort of having the intellectual fights that, that people uh, maybe have difficulty having in real life because you don't want to necessarily go up to a Jungian in your clinic and be like, oh, look, it's, it's the fucking mystic. It's like you, you got some more archetypes. You got some more stories for me, Jordan Peterson. <laughs> you so, don't want to say that in your clinic, but I mean, you can say it online. Right. <laughs> and then people who are therapists are, you know, fighting, yelling at each other. So it's, it's it was sort of like out, <laughs> it was sort of like an outlet for you to like shit post about your profession in a yeah, way. Yeah, I, I waited. I remember I waited until I actually had my graduate school degree before I did it because my graduate school is sort of very, you know, they're, they're sensitive bunch. So I wanted to make sure that I was like, okay, I don't want to make anything online related to psychotherapy until I have my degree in my hand and they can't take it away from me. (laughs) So then as soon as I had the degree, then I started posting the memes. So how do you go about like getting that uh, kicked up in the first place? Like, was it hard to get enough people in there and get the energy like circulating? Was that, did that take a long time or was it pretty No, I would say it started with like 500 people just being like, just so going in very and, invited to invi- and, and then I basically went into other groups and said, "Hey, Sigma Freud is dank meme stash. We talk about psychology." And then it was five. It was like a very closed group, very like sort of personal, more personal. So you just spread the word to all the groups you could. At but first, then it, and it was private. Yeah. Well, I made it public. Then you made it public, or at first I think I think I made it public because I wanted to grow the group, and then they said, "Oh, this group should be private." And uh, I said, oh, well, I'm going to keep it public because I want the group to grow. And they go, oh, but we then we can't post things that I would want to post in a private group. I said, oh, that's, well, my it's my group. <laughs> okay, I, had, so- I took a very, yeah, I took sort of this sort of very ownership-based idea of it. It's like, oh, this is my group with, and I'm just going to sort of make the, the group that I want to have, period. What are my demands for a group? And I'm sort of not really going to budge on them. Yeah, so and, basically you started a patch and you were the, well, I started the dictator. T- yeah, I started a taste. I figured I was like, I want my taste. My taste is going to be the arbitrator, yeah. essentially, because right. it's just one fucking Facebook group. Yeah. I'm not Anyone talking about – it's not a mental health clinic. Yeah. It's a Facebook group. So I said, oh, I'm just going to make this, – this this group will be to my taste because – Right. There is no well, I think that's what's attractive one. about the patchwork idea is like every particular patch can, you know, you can be a dictator if you want. Just make another patch and someone else can be a dictator of that. We'll see what works. Yeah. See what rises to the top. It's all good. As long as people can exit. Yeah, nothing exactly. Unethical, nothing unethical about it, right? Um, so wh- how long did it take to get to – you told me you have like 86,000 people in it. How long did that take to get there? Well, we've been – I think it's been since 2016, so three years. Yeah, three years. And for you, is it just um, is it just for fun, or like is it also useful for you in certain ways? Oh like- no, it's not definitely not just for fun. In terms of fun, the signifier. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. it's you know it's learning. It's um, you can even say self identity as a therapist. In terms of you don't get caught up in these. I think it helps people get some distance from clinic politics. Mm. And uh, when you when you have that distance and when you have that camaraderie. That is outside of this um, your motivation to to submit to whoever um, is sort of laying down rules for you. It's sort of yeah, it's very liberating. You you sort of have a general sense of yourself, and you can bounce ideas off people who are who have similar sort of um, dispositions. You know what else I found out, which was really interesting. All the yeah. people I modded like a bunch of people, but uh, on the on the you know the M. MBTI Myers Briggs. Mm-hmm. Most people are ENTPs who I modded, and I'm an ENTP. Okay. Even though that's sort of like there's a pseudoscience to it a little bit, but that that was sort of interesting in terms of the typical 
counselor is for the Myers Briggs is uh, INFJ, in, introverted, feeling, judgmental, okay. not extroverted, thinking, perceiving. So not judgmental. So I think maybe people of my personality type, you could say, felt very unrepresented by the typical judgmental counselor who seems like very much in their own mm. world and lashing out in some sort of way. That's fascinating. So I, yeah. I don't actually know that model as well. I, I, in my research and There's stuff I read, I mostly, like yeah, I mostly know about yeah. the big five. So tell me the, specifically the personality type that it seems to be uh, specific to your group and your moderators. What is that personality type like? Break it down. Um, so ENTJ is the really responsible CEO type. ENTJ? ENTJ. So okay. that's like everything like me. But if I was like really judgmental about everything, okay. I'd be a lot more successful. Okay. ENTP is like you're almost there, but you don't put your foot down. So you're just sort of like you're you're almost like you're almost it tends towards this Dionysian sort of approach to the world, which is, uh, you know, I'm trying to be in the world in the in the way I find the most enjoyable in some okay. sense. Okay. And I like part that. of that is engaging with uh, other people, thinking through stuff, um, a certain so the main difference then is the J and the P, and so the P stands for what? Perceiving. So and it's J like stands for what? Uh, judging. So versus like I would say my my method is very much a P method in terms of um, it's very much the the value against itself and people's versus like you could say like Jordan Peterson is very much J. It's like this value is bad. Okay. Right. And there's, there's a limit to this value is bad. There's like a hard limit when you get outside of your culture, when you get outside of the historical sort of moment of you, you, you end up with this pile of irrelevant information. But if you have that negative theology, you can almost call it or that negativity. Like I'd say Kant has that to some ex to some extent, Hegel definitely has that. Then it becomes uh, something then it becomes something else entirely. And that's perceiving you're talking about now. Yeah. Then you're sort of you're sort of shorting. It's more detached. You're sort of shorting objective morality. More <laughs> you can't even more say more detached. Might you say? Like no, I would say it just doesn't. Um, it's more dialectic, more quantum. You could say <laughs> it's more quantum versus versus uh, linear. It's more. Um, what are the effects of these these sort of uh, antagonistic? Um, moralities and then what what are the real what is the real like for instance you can look at us as this sort of quant this is sort of this quantum space of of libertarian right-wing libertarian thought and left-wing thought and you don't you don't simply get left or right what you get is this um this discussion about philosophy and ethics and self and other and future and past so rather than sort of being stuck on on the in, on these sort of single tracks, um, something something else entirely gets made. Depending, you know, there's there's something that gets made too when you you're able to have that obsessive fidelity to the single track, like I would say Peterson has, and he sort of has his professional results in terms of he's you know very yeah. successful. Um, but I would say the discourse is worse logically or rationally. I get you. That makes sense. Yeah. I think in my own way, I'm trying to have that kind of. Uh, consistent, narrow path that I stay kind of radically faithful to in an almost antisocial way. Mm -hmm. But then I do like creative social experiments to, to kind of balance it out. Mm. So like my ideal, I feel like is you have individuals working on extremely idiosyncratic, focused, passionate paths that are yeah. not, that are uncompromising and ambitious. 
Uh, but then they just hang out and talk with other people who are doing the same. And I feel like that makes for the best kind of fireworks and yeah. product and like personal productivity and shit. Are the social experiments, uh, they seem to be more social experiments in the realm of like the, the, the macro. Mm. And then you seem to be getting repercussions in the micro. Say more. In terms of you take you have these hot takes, but they're very much based on these macro systems. You say you as in the you as in you as in Justin Murphy. um, Yeah, yeah. Gone. But 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 then there there tends to be this micro backlash in terms of it's like in terms of interpersonal like relations. Yeah, I'm over all that though. Which is yeah. I don't care about inter. Well, here okay. Here's my here's my thing. And I think this is different than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a kind of barbell strategy when it comes to like who, who I care about. Yeah. I care about like the three to 10 people in my life who are close to me, like my friends and family, essentially my wife, yeah. obviously those like three to 10 people who are actually in my imminent life world mm-hmm. mean the world to me. And I'll bend over backwards for them. And I, their emotions and needs, like I'll compromise, yeah. I'll compromise very generously and, and selflessly with those people. Uh, and then, but other than that, I care about no one except macro structures, essentially like impersonal abstract metrics. Yeah. Like I'm trying to increase my view counts. I'm trying to increase my patrons, I'm trying to increase my income. I'm trying yeah. to increase my long-term social, political, intellectual power and yeah. impact. So it's like, I, I only care about a few people around me. And then these like macro variables yeah. that are radically impersonal. Everyone in between that, like random internet people, unless like I have a relationship with them online, I just don't care the, that that whole large middle mass of like random people, individuals, the, the large set of random individuals mean nothing to me. And I think that's yeah. like the proper attitude. Well, one of the problems with call out cultures, I think they're finding is there's nothing to grab onto in terms of what are you, you can be mad at you, but what exactly are they going to grab onto at this point? I think at a certain point, if you're working at a, in a university, there's certain, there's certain risks, but I think that's an important dialectic to have, which is your universal ethical theories that you think are important and valuable for society that you sort of, you live in the micro sense, but it's in the background informing it. But, um, ultimately, like you said, those three to 10 people are, um, you know, are, are, are really the material force. And then part of it is what, what are, what is the relation to that? But that's, is that is that a sort of boring topic, or or in terms? But I think maybe that's something that's important. Maybe it's sort of a it's sort of a scary topic because Go it's like it it has less macro jouissance to it. Okay. But in terms of a politics of the future, what do you what it you know, or like Nick Land types who are isolated, say in like Shanghai, but I'm sure they have a small group of people, uh, you know, he talks to. Like, what is the future of the micro to macro? And what, in terms of a patch, what if these patches are sort of this mesosystem proposal that is simply non-existent? We're just going to have these microsystems with macro politics. Microsystems with macro, macro politics. Poli- rather I than a patch. Yeah, rather than a patch. Like a, I think that is patch. Because the patches are small. Yeah. The patches are small, micro. It's, it are, are small, micro, like systems of relationships. At least this is my personal yeah. take on it. Like I'm not trying to give anyone a kind of textbook like uh, explanation of like, mold bug or whatever but but this is what patch mean this is what patchwork means to me yeah you start with micro systems from the ground up that are highly refined and tailored to custom attributes or preferences of imminent life worlds and uh 
yeah, ideally you you kind of evolve an ecology in which these different yeah. patches can kind of coexist in a way that's like better than civil war. <laughs> yeah. I feel like these imminent life worlds are becoming more and more worlds for one, you know, maybe just be, just because the multiplicity of connection really is, um, facilitated by being able to jump through these various sort of orders. Uh, when we're in the order, it sort of doesn't seem like that seems like a world for a lot of people, but then ultimately, you know, that's why I like the egoist ethic, which is ultimately boils down to the world for one, um, mm, the world for one. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, we were talking about this yesterday that like communism and egoism or communism and in individualism shouldn't really be thought of as opposed, but what you really want is a kind of union of egoists, right? Or union. I'd of love, I'd love for, I'd love for, um, com I, I would love for the left to essentially be the, I, I think it might be impossible, but in terms of just like, be, because it's in my self interest, I want, you know, this is, I think that's a much more powerful argument than, than the Christian sort of pseudo Christian theology of the left, which tends to, tends to prevail if people, you know, you know, it's like mm. people shouldn't have to do this. People shouldn't have, it's like, why not? Why shouldn't people have to pay for health insurance? Be like, how about like, you know, I don't give a shit about Jeff Bezos. And if you really think about it, it's like, Oh, billionaires. Oh, well, what's the incentive? It's like, I don't give a fuck, Bill. I don't give a fuck, Jeff. Um, fuck you. I want, like, it's like, oh, but then we won't be incentivized. I don't care. Go and live in the fucking bottom of the ocean and fucking, you know. Yeah, you know. I know. I, 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 I know what you mean. I mean, I, I think a kind of honest selfishness mm -hmm. is better to me than the dissimulated resentfulness. To me, that would be the that would be the, my major target. Like, I would much rather leftists just say, like, I want more money. I don't want to have to pay for healthcare and I don't care about Bill Gates. Uh, that, that to me is like a defensible, that's a defensible yeah. position. What, what I think is uh, atrocious and really leads to like the, a lot of the more serious social pathologies that the left tends to ha play a, a, a major role in is saying things like we need to have socialized healthcare because it is better for everyone. And, oh yeah, I secretly have a lot of nasty kind of resentful envy, envy and jealousy towards people who are successful because yeah. I'm not. Like there's a lot of that for sure. And yeah, I think but, I, but I think everybody sort of bought into this billionaire nonsense or I, I think the politics of the future is going to be is, – is extremely difficult if you want to actually figure it out because I think – People that are billionaires and hold monopolies think that they're the source of innovation. They're not, period. No. Um, you know, just because they've managed to hoard a lot of resources doesn't mean that Elon Musk is the source of innovation. For mm. so, um, yeah, I, I'm a bit conflicted on this one. Like, I, I, I I'm sympathetic to the Marxist uh, perspective here, which is that mm. in fact there is a large reservoir of essentially social knowledge. And a lot of innovation comes from what are essentially socially or publicly produced. I think there's goods. a libidinal drive to make a, quali a qualitatively improved product in general, and I think I don't think um, people need uh, billion dollar incentives to do that. Well, but I think the idea that entrepreneurs don't contribute to innovating and creating new value mm -hmm. is is kind of absurd on the face of it. Like to just say that's totally false. I, no, I that's, think I think that makes that's no not sense. what I'm saying at all. Oh, okay. What I'm saying what I'm saying is the billionaire position. I, I see. So so you're an entrepreneur. Are you a billionaire? No. There you go. Not yet, bitch. Yeah, there you go. 
But that's what I'm saying is the idea that you need entrepreneurs that are also hoarding massive amounts of money is, is stupid. No, I got that. Yeah. And, and I think um, the more we go into the future, the more we're going to see this politics of the left that's more and more um, disjointed. And I don't think that's a bad thing because ultimately policy, if you're looking at the U.S., is going to be democratic socialism, if anything. And then what is what exactly is that going to mean is going to be, I really hope it does. I think I, I'm here because I think there's a, and the people are watching because I think there's a large contingent of leftists that don't like, um, that don't like leftism to be simply, um, so like social, social big bickering. There are people that really want, um, leftism to be sort of policy based and rather than call out based. And you look at, um, I don't know. You you look at you look at um, communities, um, what a good community looks like or a stable community looks like, and you know what it doesn't look like. Doesn't look like the contemporary left, quite frankly. For sure, the contemporary left uh, is not a stable community, and that's it's not their issues. It's that their community sucks, frankly. Um, if if you can make um, a community of the left, um, that's just as good as your everyday sort of that you would want to be in, you know, just as you feel just as comfortable in as your, as your sort of home community that that's, you know, that's why not. But yeah, you know, we've actually talked about this on the show before. I forgot who I talked about this with, but we specifically mentioned at one point how some of the like new right wing groups are actually like doing this sort of thing. Like the right wing, the proud boys people, like they have like men's like drinking clubs and stuff like that. And I, I've often said how it's unfortunate because their politics suck, but but a community that's it's closer. So it's but I, it's closer right. to what a community should sort right. of be like. My right? point, my point being, just to finish the thought, is that yeah. like why are there not he- like healthy kind of like men's social clubs or men's drinking clubs that are socialist? Like why can't I find in Albuquerque, a large city? Why can't I find a place where I can go after work each night or once a week or something and kick back a few beers? with like masculine men and joke about how like our bosses fuck us over and how we're going to exploit the rich and take their money. And we're going to have communism and happiness one day. And, and, you know, talk about our families and like, why is there no kind of like really warm, open kind of social environment where you can be a man and be a socialist and also like have a kind of community where you're not like doing all the kind of stupid, like regressive pathological stuff that's popular on the left. Like why can't that exist? Yeah, I think you have to look at the thing that connects people on the right and the thing that connects people on the left. The thing that connects people on the left is policy. The thing that connects people on the right, I would say, is um, community as such, and it's not necessarily rationality or policy. Mm. And I think that's why the right tends to have a more, I wouldn't say laid-back community. (laughs) I don't know if you'd call Proud Boys laid-back. But in terms of more a view of aesthetics as a necessity, and having a better sense of um of um just just relax <laughs> you know yeah um if, or you you just look at heidegger and so the question concerning technology and the ultimate aim of technology is art and the sort of um life being for the creation of art and sort of the being of being uh being this process of um being in the flow design or whatever you're going to shorten it Okay, Heidegger, you said everyone should just flow. Just flow. <laughs> That's fine. So you should flow. You should feel like a writer when you're writing, not a person, a pen. Cool. You flow and you make art. Great. 
the left isn't that's just not what binds the left um necessarily well yeah because what heidegger says is that in contemporary kind of industrial modernity the you know what what is actually going on with technology is that everything is being everything is being made standing reserve including human beings themselves we're we're increasingly just standing reserve to each other we're things to be used essentially and i think the left is is essentially uh fully invested in that more or less like they want to turn themselves they want to turn voters like the the masses the proletariat yeah. whatever you want to call it the whole point of kind of modern leftism is to turn the entire um, biomass of uh exploited or dispossessed workers into a political power that can achieve instrumental goals and you know in, in the case of com- the communist vision it's you know the the overturning of class society or whatever you want to call it and that's essentially an, an instrumental uh, modern technological attitude and i, I don't even agree that that's no? what the modern left is about i think no? the modern left is about um use uh, there's so much useless critique um one of the things that i like about doug lane even though i disagree with him is he at least his, there's there's critique that seems sort of um more substantial and more towards what are the foundations of society um and how are they affecting these antagonisms that were that we're facing in our day-to-day reality that alienates us from our labor. And, you know, I would argue like Heidegger would argue that that's, that's, that, that hurts the flow, man, or, or it's, it makes you no longer in Dasein. It makes you sort of um, the thing that links me and my coworkers in a clinic work, you know, people I don't talk to, I've never talked to. I, I can talk to immediately because everyone's linked by hours. Everyone's linked by productivity. And everyone's linked by the, Department of Mental Health requirements for auditing and stuff like that. And so, you know, there's an immediate connection based on that. Um, The challenge of the left is when your immediate connection is based off of uh, critique or policy, it's much more difficult than, than uh, aesthetic. Word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What do you think about our compound, by the way? It's nice. (laughs) <laughs> it's a nice compound. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, my impression was I thought I was going to be sleeping on a floor in an air mattress, like sort of in the corner of a room. And then Murphy would be sort of, you'd be like right there. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I can, that might be a bit much for three days, but I can do it. It'd be an experience if nothing else, but yeah, it's nice. I got, you know, we got our own room. Yeah. Got, got a, got a, got Jeffrey Miller doing his, his thing. You haven't had the pleasure of meeting Diana yet. She's been traveling, but she actually gets back tonight. So you'll see her either tonight or tomorrow morning. So you haven't okay. got the full, the full, the full community compound. vibe, but uh, yeah, yeah. We've had a few people over, but no, it's been mostly Jeffrey and Diana's friends. I haven't had any of my internet people. You're the first of my internet people. Um, no, that's not true. J- uh, j- my friend Jacob, uh, aka Crypto Chamomile on Twitter, he was here a couple uh, couple okay. weeks ago but we didn't have much time we didn't it was only briefly we didn't make any content so. that's that's a good uh it's a good name though nice yeah. and alliterative yeah and soothing yeah <laughs> that's right yeah it's kind of culture jam yeah i was gonna say props to, that's what i'm talking about though of, of that is there's a sort of aesthetic focus mm. and i think um the left is the left is so focused on um acceptance and it should be that it's hard to um it's hard to ar- make the argument for a qualitatively better life within the leftist framework yeah, because it's mi- it's often miserable. Like that's the fact of it. Like a lot of the, a lot, right? I mean, well, worker agitation is just that: is you agitate workers, you take <laughs> workers that were like kind of depressed, and you make them angry, right? Right. 
Kind of, you're right. They're like, kind of uh, I'm like, I'm at work. I'm depressed. And it's like, well, let's agitate them. Now I'm pissed. That's so true. I never thought about that. That's it's actually explicit. The, the strategy you know is what to I found make each other more upset. But you know what I found as a, you know, as someone who did union work uh, for my, with, is it, what people were depressed. The people were alienated. Then they were pissed. Then they were dejected when they got the, they got um, pushed back. But then what happened was this union group sort of was created and suddenly there was a discourse between workers where there wasn't before that really felt like um, a necessity to support people both who are staying there, who are leaving. Suddenly this this group was you could, like, this group now existed, even though, and there, there was also some sort of, I don't want to get too into it on, on stream, but, but, but there were also some positive effects in general between worker management uh, relations. I would, so ultimately that quality, that quality of life thing is uh, someone wrote, I'm, I'm trying not to comment on the chat. No, someone wrote being in a union kind of sucks. Um, just be the union person. Like embody, if you embody the union person and someone's, someone's sort of fr- like this happens in the union where someone will be like, this is the way. And then you just sort of look at them and go, no, this is the way. <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> so I think, I, think, I think people who are, feel stagnated in unions don't, aren't, quite embodying, aren't, aren't quite embodying the union. Uh, <laughs> Ed, Edwin Smith said that I look stressed. <laughs> no, if I, I'm not at all. Um, what you might be thinking is because I'm looking down at the computer. I'm managing the stream. We don't have our assistant Ben here to help us. We have this kid in the neighborhood. He's an undergrad here. He's a real nice, smart kid named Ben. He, he like volunteers to come help us. He does the computer and stuff usually, but he's not here today. So if I'm looking down or I look like preoccupied, it's just because I'm managing the technology. We got like a pretty sophisticated technology stack here. That now. is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you. Dink uh, Audio Stash. Oh, I know who that is. Really? Yeah. That's Cell. Oh, yeah. I know them too. Cell. Oh, yeah. Cell. Cell's yeah. Act- says, very What's active. your disagreements with Doug Lane? First of all, I would never disagree with Comrade <laughs> Doug about it now. I think you already said you I'm did. Just, I'm just kidding. It's like, it's pretty. It's a pretty open, open joke. The left can never recover from getting cucked by Marx. <laughs> what's your? Well, to just what's my disagreement with Doug Lane? Doug Lane is a material, like a classical Orthodox Marxist as much as he possibly can be, and I think that being is a question. Like for instance, like I was saying, being the question of a qualitatively higher being is necessary for uh for the left uh someone says is this guy visiting justin yes elliot is here in the flesh at our compound uh, ben will be back soon yes uh no he's not under the table uh what else did we want to talk about mm. what are we doing for the rest what are we doing tonight <laughs> what are we doing tonight what do you want to do for fun that's, that's a good question after this that's a good question man mm. Oh, why don't you tell us uh, about your? I'll take I'll take you to a rave, Justin. Really? Because I, I know you, you're you're too, you're too. Uh, that's it's just a different virus, you know. Like Moldbug talks about the different viruses. What is it? The the you really get a sense of that in the middle states versus the left states. The the left virus versus the right virus, and it's mm. such it causes such a different set of symbolic realities. It really is. That is very sort of. It's just so true. But uh, I know you're not infected with the rave virus. I, I don't think I could ever drag you to. To that, I think it, it required the set of experiences. I think, I think you've objected. I, you should tell the watchers <laughs> and listeners a little bit about your how you how have you managed to 
have a institutional career and be in good standing in kind of left-wing publishing circles and be interested in Moldbug and talk freely about all these things that leftists are not supposed to be interested in. Not many people have pulled that off, but you, you actually have in an interesting and kind Magic. of impressive way. Magic with a K. <laughs> what's, what's the, what are the secrets? Um, hi, Luke. It said, hi, Elliot. Okay, I'm going to stop reading the chat. Okay. Um, the key is I'm good at my job, and I know it's important. And I think um, if if you know it's important and you have, you know, that union of egoists, it's like what's what's in your self-interest person that's employing me? What's in uh, your self-interest, Justin Murphy? What's in my self-interest? And how to that, that hyper-focus on the egoist ethic, I think, is the secret. Um, in terms of what is important, is it really important that I um, – that I that I censor my reading material. <laughs> I've read of, I've read a lot of stuff. But I, I mean, there are a lot I, of people. I, well, let's you know, let's just go. Read Hitler. <laughs> just for sure. start, for starters, read Evola. Uh, read Moldbug. I t- I try to read Bab. I couldn't. You know, I couldn't do it because it, it's so much um call to the culture. I couldn't get through. I couldn't get through Bab's. Book. I was kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of reading Evola on Hegel. And his his take on Hegel is so different than mine. It was ne- absolutely necessary, um, I think, because Hegel, uh, Evola reads Hegel as an anti-Freud. Um, he says, "I'm a Hegelian." He says he, he reads he, he's into Hegel, but he's in, he's he considered himself an anti-Freud. Okay, in the sense that he um, Evola did. Yeah, Evola did that. Okay. He was so much in the Geist, in the culture Geist, and that was the sort of unconscious. And then I think um, that once once you go down, and this is the direction I think the right tends towards the di- the total disavowal of um, of desire and people's right to want want to survive. Um, I think in favor of other sort of ideas, like the idea that that you're going to bomb someone and they're not going to shoot back at you mm. because you have some universal ethic, or that your universal ethic is good enough. I think is the right has that huge failure, which I don't think the left has quite as badly, but the right, the right has this enormous Kantian failure where they think their universal ethic is a culture and it's not. Hmm. Um, Interesting take. But a lot of people have this idea that if you, if you have an institutional career, like yours, like you're a therapist and in a Mm. kind of larger system and you talk or even write on Facebook about, Moldbug or these kind of taboo thinkers or topics without a kind of explicitly condemning kind of attitude that if you simply do that, you're going to get, you know, uh, fired or me too or all of this. Like people really have this kind of fear. That, that's why I, I say fucking go for it. You know, I don't like it. So, so is your position uh, just that, that it's, it's paranoia? I w- it's it's my, my, my position is like, I wish you would. I wish you would say some shit because I bet your reasons are a lot worse than my reasons for actually doing them. I think pe- people who tend to argue with me on this moralistic level tend to, I'd say they tend to embarrass themselves because, but, yeah. because I, I feel like my ethical system is very logical, mm-hmm. very, um, very respectful. But it's also, it, it's, you know, I wanted to read it. It's, right. it's new philosophy. It's sort of like a new, new philosophy of the right. So I thought that was, that was something that was necessary to, read about and it was this very sort of weird um idea that a silicon valley guy went 
And then he went into his garage to make a new ideology. And then people started listening to him in this. So I found that worth. Uh, and then his, if you read it, it's an argument against why, why, why the U S should have won the revolution or shouldn't have won the revolution. That's a very interesting topic. That's a, that's a good, that's a, that's a good topic. Right. I'm just wondering it's if something you have any you'd insight never think about. into like why you, like people think that you're going to get in trouble if you even express any kind of public interest in this sort of stuff, but you've managed to do it without, you know, jeopardizing your institutionalized career. Yeah. Well, I don't have an institutionalized career. I'm a therapist. I work right, in a you, clinic. You work in the I'm not an academic. I, 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 kind of I, I limped, I limped through academia mm-hmm. and like I told you, I've been, you know, <laughs> I had right. enough trouble with academia to to the point where it's just like I I just won my degree, right? And then, fair enough. Yeah, cool. yeah. No, so I think I I don't know. The reason I'm mentioning it is just because you might not have any particular kind of insights to how it works. But you I do, think being you, good at my job is like I'm actually good at my job, right? So like, they wouldn't fire you because they need, they need you. <laughs> well, no, they don't need me. They could fire someone who's good at their job. You're good at it, so they won't <laughs> fire you. But but um, you know, you get positive feedback from clients. What else do you want? You know. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that's all. We don't have to harp on it. I was just kind of curious. I, no, I, oh, I, not I, you. That that yeah. was the that was the capital Y you. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 I, I do think that there is, I, I don't know. I have mixed emotions about this because I think there are plenty of cases out there now that are well-documented where people did kind of like lose a career or something like that over relatively trivial something they posted on Facebook that, that wasn't even that bad or something like that. So there are real cases of that that make people genuinely scared to, you know, express any of their real interests. But then there's also a lot of paranoia and and like you actually – a lot of people can get away with you know expressing themselves pretty honestly and openly and exploring different controversial topics and taboo thinkers and stuff. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a confusing and interesting kind of space at the moment how some people do it and they're just fine and some people aren't uh, and, they, and they get taken down in these weird ways. So that's why I was asking. I'm just kind of curious about this. Yeah. Also keep in mind in my environment, I'm the furthest left person. I'm like the representative for the left. I don't say that as like, like it's, it's, it's me, it's disaffected workers who are pretty traditional and then management who is very, you know, traditional and, um, I'm the leftist. So it's like, if I do something that's not left, they're going to go like, Oh, okay. Can you, can you (laughs) use the word retard? I would never use the word retard. Nice. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it would be inappropriate in my profession to use. I guess that particularly as that a mental word. health person, it's kind of inappropriate. You, you can't, you can't yeah. say that as a mental health person. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not, though, ag- I'm not against the, I'm not against, um, uh, I would say people expressing themselves, but I would say, I would say if you say that in a public, say, say you're like, you know, say you're a professor and you say it, in a speech at the university, you know what the bad, but that's yeah. the egoist ethic, which is, okay, there's, there's a universal ethic. I have my own desire and survival. What do I consider survival? Do I consider my death of my university times uh, dying? But, and it seems like, no, it seemed like dying for you was, was not, you know, being able to speak in the way you wanted to, right? Yes. For me, dying was not being able to say the word retard. <laughs> and being able to say the word retard, come what may, was the the rebirth of a new life for me. God God bless you, Justin. Justin. I mean, I mean I'm only half kidding. I'm, I'm really only, I'm, I'm, I know, but it's But that's what I've always respected because that's like a line in the sand that most people wouldn't draw for like – so I think people people who would maybe like to be more free in their – 
day-to-day discourse or wish they could say any curse word, say any curse word that came to their mind or whatever. Mm. Um, I think people respect that it, it fits nicely also with your sort of the rest of, uh, but what if there's someone on Facebook who's, who's like being really stupid at you? Can you just call him a retard colloquially? I don't think I would do that. No. And is that because you personally find it unethical to use such language or for career implications? Um, because I am in my career, I do. It's it's the personal and the yeah, and that's the, fair. And I respect that. Yeah, so that makes it is both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we got a very important question from uh, someone in the chat. Can you say the N word? <laughs> Just kidding. People are always trying to tell me to say the N word. Not going to do it. Mostly at this point because um, what kind of what kind of lame cuck would I be if I said the N word because my YouTube chat is telling me to do it. Yeah, that's like the worst possible don't, reason. So don't. don't worry, I'm not. And then there's this other one. Ask ask for her opinion. I'm not a her, but okay. <laughs> On whether transsexuals are mentally ill. Um, I think that's the one. I can I because I read sure. it. Yeah, go for it. Please. Start with no. I think you you can make a case that gen- gender dysphoria is mental illness. I think you really have to, at this point, categorize gender dysphoria as something different. Okay. I think there's also this question of um, attraction to. Let's let, let's get Freudian for a second. Let's talk. Let's talk about sex, right? Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's go deep into. Let's Sigmund talk Freud's about you and me. Salt and pepper. No, I'm with it. I think um, there are there are people that are that are. Um, that are that have a sort of preference for vaginas and the people that have a preference for penises, and I think that's sort of entering this discourse of of transsexuality, and also there's the there's the athletic questions, but I think those are obscuring the fact that um that soci- that sort of an ethical society position is should be sort of welcoming to gender, and I think um. I, I, it's it's distressing the the sort of the athletic situation the transsexual mm-hmm. because I think it's the discourse is just so bad it's like are transsexual people valid yes um, there is a problem when when somebody's getting their skull fractured in UFC fights yeah um, but and I think I I don't think that's I I think that should be sort of really grappled with and I don't see it grappled with very well. Do you ever get patients who come to you with gender dysphoria and they're like, Elliot, I think I need to transition. Should I do it? Um, do you advise on that stuff? Not typically because I think um, we, we get triaged. So patients get triaged and we have LGBT therapists. Like, oh, okay. And um, I think if that's that tends to be an issue, are they it, very gets, pro, it gets triaged. To, are, um, are those LGBTQ therapists very pro-transition? I would say it's it's almost the wrong way to look at it because what what you really face a lot of the time is somebody who's um maybe like queer or pansexual or bisexual or lesbian or gay and there's a question with gender identity and the the idea of this universal ethic of transsexualism equals bad is that it should even come into play it's like being a therapist is negative theology. It's you take you take what they're going through and you take their question with gender and how it relates to sexuality, um, and you really you it's really you you want the outcome that they want. You want to help them find what they demand and desire, and you want to help them reach that. Anything else is garbage. Like 
it really is like the idea that you're looking for. Um, I, I think there's something, maybe something to the positive LGBT stuff, which is like, not only is being gay. Okay. But it's actually better. Or it's, <laughs> no, but that's like, and I don't mean to be a right wing talking point, but that's sort of, that is a standard of treatment in terms of not only there are strengths yeah. to being gay that right. you don't have if you're straight, right. which I think is a, that's an okay perspective. Um, it's not a psychoanalytic perspective, but I think, I, and I, I'd sort of tend towards the more psychoanalytic perspective, which is you follow the desires, demands, and contradictions of the client, mm. right? And it's, and I yeah, and I think it it turns into this imaginary discourse of of are transsexuals like mentally ill or not? But that's 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 not what it is. It's it's the question of gender, and what do we do with? The, I think that's the, the real question is what what do we do with the question of gender when somebody's facing it? And I think that's where Peterson fails in terms of he gives people advice, but he doesn't he he has a he has a philosophy. He doesn't have psychology in that sense. In terms of he doesn't have the psychoanalytic, um, he calls himself an individualist. You can't be an individualist if if you if you don't have that negative theology. Hmm. Okay, I'll process that for a minute. Uh, someone says that they've never had a positive therapy session. Yeah, fair enough, man. Someone says uh, someone wants you to feel their junk, Elliot. <laughs> I don't think I see that. Elliot, feel my junk. I think I need a transition. Said fluff. I'd say, well, I don't. That's outside of my uh, s- scope of competency. Uh, <laughs> if I was, if I was your therapist, I'd Ooh, have a follow. Here's, here's a here's a saucy one. Are pedophiles mentally ill? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's in the it's in the it's in the DSM and it's in the it's in the conduct sort of area along with sort of like borderline personality um, and various sort of other, yeah, other sexual disorders. And if you look in the DSM, what you really end up having to do, <laughs> they, like, there's not a good treatment. There's basically, okay, you lock them up and then you monitor them. And that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's sort of where we're at. One treatment is virtual reality. Virtual, oh no. No, you don't think? No. Give them really high quality sex dolls with no. VR supplements? No. Why not? That, that's just that's just more. I think I think I think I think capitalism would do that. Capitalism probably already is doing that. You don't think that could be a viable solution? I don't think that's a I'm open minded towards it. If it keeps them from diddling kids, I'd you know, I mean whatever. Well ultimately it's a conduct disorder. So in terms of you um you turn into a psych cop essentially, and you say, "Listen, um, you have this conduct that's unacceptable." And a lot of times, when therapists are dealing with uh, uh, pedophiles or something like that, it's in the context of jail. Of um, they're a therapist in a jail, mm. and they're dealing with uh, sex offenders. So it, it does turn into this sort of judicial sort of task. Mm. I wish I had a, a better answer for it. Well, you know, because <laughs> I hate to play the psych cop card, but I really um. Well, you know, Foucault and Deleuze were all like pretty open minded towards it. Oh yeah, I've read that. Yeah, it's like oh, that's a that's a dark road. Let's see, we don't have to pay attention to the chat if we don't want. We we, we can we can generate our own organic imminent conversation, yeah. Elliot. Okay, unless you want to just we if we get open up to, it up you, to questions or up to you whatever. How long we've we been going? We've been going almost. An hour. We Have could, we really? I think we could. Um, we got about fifty-three people in the house, though. Not bad. Not yeah. Bad. Why do you ever live stream? 
I used to live stream with uh, Freud, but it was more just like we would talk. It was just like a Skype. Oh yeah, chat. dude. Let's talk about that egoist guy who like used to be. But we oh, both no. like talked with him before. Yeah, that's we. Yeah, yeah that's right. We both. What's did. his story? What happened with him? Uh, he uh, Doctor Bones, right? Yeah, Doctor Bones. He had a big Me Too moment, didn't he? He had a big Me Too moment, and it was a sad moment because he was. Um, I, f- I found out a very sad moment because he was an egoist anarchist who was extremely financially successful as a journalist. Whoa. That's crazy. Yeah, he was like self-publishing like crazy, right? Yeah, and people were giving him money. Um, and then, I, I, from from what I heard about about what happened was that I think I think um, his fiance was upstairs with with her mom, and then he came on to um, a trans woman. While the fiance was in, so then he and then it was it was done in this very sort of, yeah, aggressive way that 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 the that uh, the woman found disgusting. So then it so then it turned into a Twitter post, and then it turned into a, him going, "I failed. I'm disappearing." Yeah, and Goodbye. he just kind of fell off yeah, the yeah, internet, I, right? Yeah, I've not been able to make contact with him. Yeah, the way I found him on the internet, or the reason I became interested in him, uh, like a year or two ago, whenever that was, was because I saw he was. He was really killing it. Like he was really productive. He's self-publishing eBooks and mm-hmm. like really, you know, putting out a lot of work. And it was interesting, weird stuff and really independent. Like you know, yeah. Uh, it's I, I think it's. I thought it was a tragedy. I still think it's a bit of a tragedy. Um, well, maybe he's recovering and uh, apologizing and making amends, and maybe he'll be back or something. I don't. Who knows? Have you uh, talked to them? No, I can't. I, I've 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 messaged. Off. It's gone. Damn. Yeah. Well. I mean, honestly, and, and uh, when I talk to my fr- my friends, like people in the psych community, um, people in the left community, they are not fucking sympathetic towards him. That's how, for how, sure. How famous was he among like non-internet people? Like did people, people knew really, who he was. He did, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, at least the people I talked to. Yeah, because I definitely got the impression he was he was doing well in terms of selling books and kind of uh, ri- getting patrons and that kind of thing. But I also had the sense that he was like very niche and. Very like online. I didn't wasn't sure how much his work like traveled off. I think he well, he's a direct action person and a hoodoo practitioner. So he was yeah. do, so he was doing direct action with people, and he was also doing um, hoodoo. So very kind of interesting guy. But like I said, the macro and the micro. It's sort of people have this sort of reach towards the macro, but end up in the micro, mm. right? And that's that's sort of what we're dealing with. There's no mes. I think we're dealing with a loss of the meso system dealing with the loss of the like 500 person community. Right. Say more about that. I feel like that's kind of a good thing. I feel like the 500 community, mm. 500 person community is the worst one. Is it? That's like, well, to me, that's like, that's where all the super ego injunctions kind of have their like yeah. personalized fixations. You, you know, you imagine like, like mm. when I was an academic, for instance, like my actual relationships with most of the people in the university, like the administrators, all it's this big network, right. Of, of authorities mm. um, that you're embedded in. Right. And I kind of had a relationship with some of them, but these are, well, first of all, there's like five or 10 to 20 people who I actually mm. was really good friends with. I'm not talking about them. If they happen to be listening to this, I'm not talking shit about you, but the larger community, like, of course it's very weak ties. Right. Yeah. But so probably about 500 people who you have in your mind as kind of like, yeah, they're my friends. We're all friends kind of, but actually you don't know each other. Well, you actually don't give a shit about each other. And it's, it's, but, but you can yeah. train, you can train what you say and what you do 
based on a certain feeling of obligation to, we have a professional to, the, to these people. Yeah. But also there's like the 500-person non-professional relationship, which no longer sort of uh, But again, exists. I think it's that, it's that 500 zone, it's that meso zone yeah. that I think is the most kind of oppressive and fake and bullshitty because that's like yeah. where group psychology is mostly inhibitory but without any of the positive community uh, benefits or emotional psychological satisfactions yeah. that you get from true relationships. So the, so the ethics of the retro future will be will be micro macro. Hell yeah. be the, the yes. dissolving of the meso system. Hell yeah. Like be radically yeah. faithful and loving and uh, reciprocal to like the five to 10 people in your life world. And then be mercilessly cold and uncaring about the 500 to seven, you know, billion people who yeah. actually could not care less about you and that you have no real relationship with, but dedicate your efforts to maximizing impersonal abstract metrics. Yeah. That's my take. I think, it reminds me of all these critiques about uh, Cartesian ideas and empirical ideas of that obs- that libidinal obsession with the map, right? Okay. I'm not sure if they, I'm not sure how much they hold ground if there is in fact a, a libidinal attachment to the to to the mapping and to the measuring. Hmm. What, what what what? Where does measuring measurement? That's the Hegelian idea. Let's go back to Hegel's logic measurement. Why is that so featured in his logic? Why? That's a, I don't know. You don't know. But, but it is. Qualitative measurement and qu- uh, quantitative measurement. Why is that the object of logic? Hmm. Well, you can't systematize that which can't be measured, right? Like measurement is a requirement for any type of formalism or systematization. Yeah. Right? And, th- and then there's, you can even say language in terms of, Hegel's idea is that human creation, human culture is all that's relevant to us. Like the, the natural that's outside of that is only good insofar as it reflects a human ideal. Art is only good as it reflects an idea. Hmm. Um, and then Heidegger says, no, there's actually a sort of aesthetic mood. There's actually a big mood. I think that's an important, I like Hegel's aesthetic idea that, that all art eventually has an idea. Hmm. I wonder what the idea is here. Hmm. What is the idea in terms of if you had to boil down this podcast as, as say, a, as a, as a, as a frame of art picture, what's the idea of us talking? Whoa. It would be the union of egoists that you and I, we're, this we're is a union. fucking union of egoists. Though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Look at you. You're a fucking egoist. You're I mean, not, egoist. I know I'm like, I'm like, I'm an egoist, but you're Justin Murphy. No, but <laughs> no, but in some sense, this is like a, a union of two yeah. egoists because like you and I, we, I, to the degree, we, like we have a relationship, it's been mostly internet mediated. This is yeah. the first time ever hanging out, but like, it is pretty. If you think about it, if we're both like honest about it, mm-hmm. it is probably radically individualized and egotistical. Like, yeah. like that's good. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's fine, yeah. or it's fine. It, at least it's fine. Um, it yeah. might have its own pathologies or failure modes, but like, like uh-huh. I have a sense that you're, uh, like, you're not interested in talking with me or hanging out with me because of like any kind of bullshit, like altruistic thing that like you're going to pretend, you know, it's like, I would say I, I enjoy, it. I was like, what a cool <laughs> thing to do. But that's yeah. the thing is like, is, is the real, and that's sort of Zizek's truth of the mask argument is like, you're, you know, you have your Justin Murphy online thing, but also you're actually you. That's actually part of your existence. You know, this is actually part of my existence and it's sort of fulfilling to have a discussion with uh, someone who's, who has this uh, actualized, intellectual online macro systemic mm. 
project. And I like I like of egoists. I like kind of knowing that about you because right. what it, what it means to me is that like I you're not going to hang out with me or waste your time doing anything with me unless you feel like it's in it, it's worthwhile for you. It, I also, you know? Yeah, I like to have like intellectual friends. <laughs> like <laughs> I remember I was, I was talking to you the other I said Justin, do you have you know cuz that's sort of like what I was in tell me about Tell me about your experience with having intellectual friends, okay. because I feel like that's something that's very important to me in terms of right. that's something that's more that I I've been that, I, that I've been doing with myself recently in terms I of see. I've been making a point to hang out with people that are like that talk about, you know, macro concepts. Um, I see. And I find that interesting. But I think. Um, the idea behind that is having a sort of discussion about these topics that are. Important. I feel like the real is returning, and very nicely in a Lacanian sense. This moment, yeah, just cool. The the desi- the, the very sort of infantile demand for like uh, for like a connection, right? And it's almost embarrassing because because what we're like playing with is the high concept, and then the real returns, which is connection of the union of egoists. That's a form of connection, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then who do you connect with? In the retro future, <laughs> who do you connect with? Why do you connect with them? Who do you mm. plug? Who 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 do you give the access key to? Mm. Mm. Who do you give your access keys to? Who can recognize your access key? Mm. I would say most people can't recognize. In terms of why can you talk about Woolbug Elliot? There are people. There are therapists who don't know who Freud is. Justin, <laughs> a lot of uh. therapists who don't know who Freud is. Talk uh. Woolbug. Like in, who can recognize your uh, your sort of right. your sort of you know your cascade of ideas and interplays? Well, this is kind like, of like becoming right? imperceptible, right? Yeah, this absolutely. Is kind of this absolutely. is kind of one of the goals yeah. of a properly constituted philosophical project. You should be pretty much incomprehensible to most people most yeah. of the time, I think. And that's not like purposely seeking obfuscations, but it is. Um, it's a kind of uh, byproduct of the fact that one is on a kind of genuine, authentic, creative path. Yeah. It should not be easy to understand. Mm. It would be weird if it was, right? If something genuinely new, if you're embarking on a genuinely novel line of flight, if you will. Yeah. Um, it, it, at least in the early stages, it should be incomprehensible, mm. not because you're pursuing any kind of purposeful, um, you know, density or obfuscation, but just because if it's truly new, then it's, almost formally the case that it's uh it's it, it's it does not yet plug into the currently existing yeah. grids of meaning so the the utopian left and to save the left we need to go back to utopianism because because the left needs to focus on a qualitative increase of life in general i feel like that's embedded that, in that, it that right? is that is the union of leftism and christianity also but but yeah, but like a qualitative, I would say the left's argument should ultimately be you'll have a qualitative life increase with the left and you'll have a qualitative life decrease with the right. If it's not true, then then shit. How are you? Well, that's a that's a then it's a religious pitch, which is your life's going to get worse. And uh, I totally believe that. I think life, the concept of life, the value of life, Deleuze talks about uh, imminence as a life, that pure mm-hmm. imminence is a life. Mm. I, I and and kind of the Christian obsession in some sense with with life and the promotion mm. of life. I absolutely think that that's kind of kind of the centerpiece for any non resentful, productive, generative leftism or kind of 
politics in general and yeah. any type of community that doesn't turn resentful and nasty and fascist. It has to be based on a kind of resolute uh, commitment to life and promotion of life. Yeah. Now I could get, make this really awkward and start uh, talking about the abortion debate in this context. Oh no, go for <laughs> it. Yeah. Feel free to throw any, um, well, it's still a bit topic of a, or whatever. Um, <laughs> what's your take on abortion, Elliot? Let's, I I love life I, so much. I I, I, I hesitate oh, since <laughs> I hesitate to be like cavalier. Like my initial no, responses are like a joke. So I'm like, don't don't say don't say that. <laughs> I think um, I'm I'm generally pro pro choice. I I don't I think in the real cultural sense I don't um I can I can see in a heavily conservative neighborhood why that would be difficult to cater to the demand for abortion when the majority of the commu- uh, community is against abortion, but I'm, I'm generally pro pro choice as right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, Do you remember the case of Terry Schiavo? Yeah. Yeah. Though she had a, the plug pulled or something. Yeah. My, my wife reminded me of this recently. She read some long form thing about it and uh, it was really interesting because I forgot all about it. But it, if you remember, if you go back to that case, it was an epic kind of like national standoff, like the national guard was called in. I didn't remember this. No. Yeah, the governor like there was actually there was actually a kind of like semi-military escalation wow. um to prevent the guy from like pulling the plug. Um you know, that's exactly that's at least how, wow. how it was kind of painted, but like yeah, the governor got involved. The National Guard was at least like theoretically uh at one point kind of mobilized and I I remember hearing about it. I was very, you know, I was young and I, I didn't pay too much attention to the stuff at the time, but um yeah, it's interesting if you go back to it because it was like way more epic than people might remember or realize. Yeah. And in some ways, like the abortion debate seems to have kind of cooled off or maybe not cooled off, but it's sort of like it's not at the top of the agenda. Well, there's so there's such a quantity. There's a larger quantity of stories because of the Internet now Mm. in terms of when TV media, there was the one story that sort of had all the attention for weeks. True. Quantity is its own quality. Mm. Well, I think quantity being its own quality is very true in the game of content creation. Yeah. Like, uh, I think when you, when you start to reach a certain level of volume and consistency in your internet output, um, it takes on a new quality. There's like a qualitative rupture that you get from a certain quantity of production. Yeah. Do you think that's possible? Say that one more time. A qualitative. I think when it comes to productivity, like content creation on the internet and productivity, um, like when you're putting stuff out on the internet, Mm. if you just do it a little bit here and there, not great. But when you do a high volume at a consi- at a certain kind of consistency, yeah, it produces its own quality. Like the actual content is perceived differently, mm-hmm. and it's enjoyed differently, and and the response to it is different. The perception is different if you're doing a large volume of it at a high at, at a at a kind of good consistency at a good yeah. rate. I agree. There you go. Well, that's that's why, like for the Freud group, I kind of like a leftist to like a leftist say that I modeled it after like a car dealership in some sense, which is if you make good content. I'll give you a part of the dealership. You can ban people. You can, you know, do whatever you want. Do you it, post it like every day or what? I would say, yeah. I, I, I used post to, po- I used to post multiple times a day, I used yeah. to post, but then so many different people make um, content now. I definitely comment every day at least. Oh yeah. Not, Something I wanted to ask you about. You told me yesterday that like 
you have a you have something of a background in, in making web comics and stuff. Yeah, that was before I ever made a meme. I was a bad I was a bad draw I was a good writer, mm. but I, I was so bad at drawing. That's mm. why memes were perfect for me. Right. So I'm a I'm a bit <laughs> I'm a bit the opposite. I'm kind of like a boomer when it comes to memes a bit. Obviously I get them, I follow them a bit, I think they're funny. But I'm like too old to 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 I, I feel like I'm too mm. old and out of the loop to actually try to make one. Like I feel, mm. I feel like if I would try to make one, it would be total cringe. Well, you get, it would well, be boomer well, that was, cringe. Yeah, it was like what happened to Reza when he tried to make one. Did he? It was like kind of interesting. Yeah. And I was like, that's interesting. And then, of course, he got tons of shit for it. That's hilarious. It was like something about torpedoes in a submarine. I was like, that's an interesting kind of so, artsy meme. Here's a fun segment. Here's, <laughs> here's a fun segment then we can try. Yeah. Teach me how can I meme. Uh, download- teach, a, teach a boomer to meme. Okay. Download PixArt. Is that, how you, it, is that it's, an it's, app you use? Yeah. Download, download PixArt. Um. A lot of it's um a lot of it's like subversive like the last meme that I made which I just I just made because I saw that Starbucks had like um I think the motives are also all over the place with memes is uh I saw Starbucks said merry coffee and uh to get around not saying merry christmas but they still got the enjoyment of saying like merry christmas I don't know this this was not a very popular one of mine but I I just, there's just something, it's just pleasurable to make Justin Trudeau's face say, have a cool Kwanzaa from all of us in Canada. So you use an app called PixArt? Yeah. And, and that <laughs> does it do it all for you? Like you just find it, you search an image and type in the text? Well, yeah, so it's like you want Trudeau and then you can, that you can figure out how to edit it in certain ways that are like cooler or more it's aesthetic. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Maybe yeah, I'll, you don't, you don't need them. Yeah, you could, tr- you could try. Well, yeah. all I'm thinking is if I could do it without being a cringe boomer. It would, uh, I be, could, it would be a major in, in, uh, addition to my like content arsenal. I think. Oh yeah, uh, I, uh, hey, I can make you an admin. You want to be an admin on an accelerationist page? Well, I don't know if I can handle it. I try mm. to stay off Facebook. I just oh, hate yeah, Facebook yeah. personally. Fair enough. Seems yeah, like it works well. For that would you, be off brand a bit. Um, Fluff, <laughs> oh, Fluff says I'll make some memes for you, Justin. Awesome, definitely go do that, please. I encourage meme makers for sure. I try to always when people make tweets about me or when people make memes about me or like anything related to anything I talk about and they send it to me, I always retweet memes. So uh, that's my little bit of encouragement. If people want to make memes, you know, I'm more of a Twitter guy. than Yeah. Facebook, uh, yeah. Twitter, Twitter has this nice in- individualist streak to it. Like I said, it's like, you're not playing with algorithms. They have, people have to follow you personally. Elliot. Oh, we got Wan Yoon Kim in the house. My Twitter friend. Uh, do you, oh God, Elliot, do you have any opinion, opinions on character analysis? I don't know. I don't know Reich so much because I didn't read him a lot because I read my mass psychology of fascism. Um, he seems like he extrapolates a lot, very Jungianly, and he, then he had a psychotic break and never came back. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a big Reich person. No. Um, there are plenty of, there are people in our group that are huge Reich people. And do like, but that's the thing is like that's why I like the group dynamic is there are there are Reich people. Mm. So go to Sigmund Freud's dank meme stash and ask about Reich, and you'll get you'll get a good amount of people who can talk about it very in depth. Uh, this guy in the chat, uh, Drama Mineralis, he's obsessed with Reich. I, I met him in Florida. He's a nice nice young man. Uh, he should make drama if you're out there listening, and I know you are because I see you in the chat. You should make uh, Wilhelm Reich's dank meme stash. That already they, exists. Uh, already yeah, happen. the guy who makes the shout out to Chris Gabriel or Chris Smith, uh, who makes meme analysis. He asked me to do that with him, and I'm glad I didn't because I think he's doing it better than I could. Which was a Jungian take on memes called meme analysis. He has his own YouTube channel that you should check Is out. It good? But he's the person who owns Willem Reich's 
Uh, okay. Dank meme stash. Dank orgone stash, actually. Dank orgone stash. Yeah, so. But that's the thing is there's this nice multiplicity of site content that comes out of this from the group dynamic. Dude, have you ever, have you ever messed with uh, TikTok, this new social media no. platform? <laughs> Dude, so I've been, like, looking at it. Yeah. I've been, like, trying to understand it uh, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity. It's pretty interesting because yeah. um, a few things about it that are kind of worth just uh, t- chatting about because it's kind of fascinating is – First of all, it's like the fastest growing of all the social networks yeah, right now. Yeah, that's true. Based in China. True. Obviously, China has lots of people. Yeah. But it seems to be – it seems like their algorithm is different than a lot of the other algorithms. So like what's crazy about TikTok is you can have no followers and um, you could – like your first few pieces of content, if they're mm. viral, if they're good, they, they can get several thousands of, of views. Whereas like on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, like oh, – that's interesting. None of them have this kind of like um, availability. Mm. And I think what's going on is that – well, first of all, so uh, int- this leads to a few interesting observations. First of all, if you go into TikTok and you look at the content, mm. it's the worst ever. It's like the the cringiest possible yeah. stuff imaginable. Like so it makes like your <laughs> – That's news- why I don't want to like well, – Well, but here's what's interesting. Yeah. So if you, if you compare it to like the Facebook news feed or your Instagram feed or whatever, mm. like – the TikTok finish is like bottom of the barrel, stupid kind of like emotional uh, sensation hacking. Um, so it's like mostly like hot girls, like uh, lip syncing, like stupid, uh, like radio tunes. Uh, it's like really, really cringy. Okay. But so in some sense, what's interesting is this is clearly what the algorithm rewards because mm. all these behaviors, you know, the content of the platform is produced by the the rules of the game. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting to me given my, my interest and my kind of experiments with, with content creation, because I'm kind of like becoming tempted to try to hack the system. Because if you can make it, it might, what it mm. seems to be going on with TikTok is it's a more like the, the algorithm and the results you get in terms of like how many people see it mm. is more kind of, obje- it's more of an objective function. Yeah. So it's like, if your stuff is watched, like mm. if it's likable, the algorithm is going to, go full steam ahead. It's like an accelerationist uh, kind of platform, yeah. I think, as far as I can tell. Whereas Twitter, they they put a lot of brakes on things. Facebook puts a lot of brakes on things. They don't want stuff spreading too far. They want yeah. to kind of control. And they did that the with, small... the, with the group in terms of the rate was like exponential. Yeah. And yeah. then they sort of capped it at 86, 85,000. Right. Okay. So yeah. TikTok seems to be this kind of like, it's Neo-China arriving from the future. It's like yeah. the accelerationist uh, social media platform right now. And it's not, it's almost as big as Instagram now. It's, and so it's, it's rapidly growing. Mm-hmm. And if you make something that like pushes the right psychological buttons, mm-hmm. um, it can have several thousand viewers, even if you have no followers. So I'm thinking yeah. about, I'm thinking about making it, you know, make, making a play for TikTok dominance. What do you think? Uh, you'd be the first uh, philosophy person on there. That's for sure. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think philosophers need to kind of um, <laughs> move into these like low status, low culture spaces. Yeah. I mean, I'm already there with Facebook, <laughs> but I, I was, I thought I was bottom of the barrel, but tic- I'm, go- I'm going tic- lower. TikTok philosophy lower. book. <laughs> TikTok um, philosophy. Yeah. In fact, look, we'll do an experiment. <laughs> let's do an experiment right now. I'm going to make a TikTok video of us live streaming right now actively. And then right. we'll, and then I'll report in like, you know, 15 minutes or something like how many, so like okay i'll give people an example yesterday i made a, I posted a video it was just sitting on my phone like from a few weeks ago yeah. it was just a, like a 10 second video of a roadrunner mm. that i encountered on the street here i was like oh this roadrunner is yeah. kind of cute i'll make a video and then i posted it to tiktok and i ha- I only have 14 followers but this roadrunner video i got has uh 1500 views and it's That's just like fucking a bull- crazy it's just a bullshit little like roadrunner video that is crazy um, so yeah. yeah so it's kind so, of interesting you might be on something so um we are here live streaming right now. We got the YouTube chat over here. 
And uh, this is just an experiment to essentially see it, how many views this gets on TikTok. And then I'll report back. I'm doing an experiment to show people how kind of wild this new platform is. Should we do, should we do one of these? Uh, yeah, dab. There you go. Okay. Now it's a TikTok video. Now it's an official TikTok right, video. And uh, <laughs> you can like add music and bullshit, but I'm not even going to do that. I'm just going um, to go. I'm going to add some hashtags because that's like what the young people do. I've heard that's like important for um, social media. I'm just going to do live stream. Booyah. So the ethics of retrofuturism is TikTok supremacy. Yeah, it might be. It might be the case. <laughs> Uh, well, my what I didn't talk about actually is I have this sort of ethical theory that I find that the the end result of e- someone said, "Oh, so what's egoist paradise? Everyone is your slave." Someone said that a while ago. Okay, mm, let me speak to that. Yeah, you want, <laughs> you want slaves? Tell us about it. <laughs> God damn it, Justin Murphy! I'm just trying. I'm but trying. yeah, guys, so, my idea is that no matter what government system you get. Uh, ultimately, you get a techno dis- dictatorship, which is ultimately the those who are, have supremacy over the wielding of ideas, and you can call that technology, like in Heideggerian sense, technology of these ideas, and are able to wield them best, not only with themselves, but with other people who are working towards that same idea. We could even say like the idea of alt alt philosophy. Oh God, no! I hope that doesn't catch on. But in terms of that's an idea, and I would say we both, to some extent, are a dictator of the idea that people sort of then reproduce the idea to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. And then my my sort of concept of egoism is that everything tends towards tech, techno dictatorship, okay. And there's a there's a dialectical progression from someone say just entering into uh, your world as an actor is they always sort of are failing because they're kind of like. They're just learning, so they have the they feel like they're acting. It's like imposter syndrome, but structural. Then you, you're a craftsman. You sort of can reproduce. Um, you can reproduce the discourse fairly well, and then you're a techno dictator, which means your opinion becomes the discourse. And I think the more you disavow that um, that there is an intrinsic dictatorship to reality, which is reality is not a, even democracy ultimately turns into this who wields the idea of what it means to be a democrat who is the mo- who is the techno dictator um and i think when, you, when once you sort of realize what you're trying to do is be a dictator of the idea it's hard to disavow that it's like well i want other people's input of course you do but you also want the words coming out of your mouth to not be like well shut up let's listen to this other guy right so okay. i see what you're saying now so, yeah yeah so that's that in terms of what's ego is i think acceptance of this techno dictator tendency in human relations. So you're saying people should embrace their techno dictator drives and own it. I think what you need to do is find the idea of the thing. Like I said, like independent philosophy, sort of the idea of the thing, um, recognize that you're creating, you're engaging with that idea, but really what we're doing is engaging with a bunch of other ideas. Right. And then we have our different sort of relationships to the, I would say I'm more of a craftsman of the left. In terms of I can re- I can reproduce and I can kind of like, but ultimately I don't feel like I'm necessarily an authority about what leftist policy should be. Mm. Although I, I have a general idea of what psychological, and this is my angle, which is this is, I don't know what leftist policy should be, but I, but I think there should be a qualitative 
uh, emotional sort of shift about mm. about uh, what what leftism should be. So my t- dictator of the idea is psychology. So I think I have I have this sort of dictatorial um, thing, and that it gets repeated. And I see this in at work. I see this, you know, online. Um, and I like this. I yeah. like what you're saying. So yeah, because there are a lot of people out there who <clears throat> they're nice. They're nice chaps, you know, especially young men. They like. They want to be a part of a kind of philosophical community of some kind. They want dialogue, discourse, or whatever, because they're not, you know, they're not psychopaths. They don't want to dominate. They don't want to be like overly aggressive or whatever. Yeah. And that's a health, those are all healthy, good traits to have. Mm. Um, but what often happens with that type of person is they they don't really kind of like find their true ideas. They don't really get yeah. to work on what they should, what they could be doing. And you're kind of saying like the idea you of have law, to you have to the accept, idea of the left. You have to accept that you are in some sense, aspiring to be a techno dictator yes. and you should embrace that rather than disavow that. Yes. I like uh, it. I like it. Yeah. But well, you might you not both even have done that, but obviously. you might not even be aspiring to be a techno dictator because you might just be inspired to be like a craftsperson. Of, I just want to be, I just want to be, be an effective uh, person for social justice. That isn't arguing with people as praxis, right. which seems fucking terrible. Right. So we got a super chat here from Max Smith. What's up, Max Smith? Thank you for the five bucks. I will buy Elliot um, a uh, a some type of object or uh, <laughs> to 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 please the gods. Um, Elliot doesn't drink, so that's why I was uh, I was I was lost for words. The question is: Have you read Umsville by Ernst Jünger? Are you familiar with his anarch concept? I. Okay, is Jünger the guy who wrote uh, the Steel book? Storm of Steel. Storm yes. of Steel. That's all I've read by him, and I haven't read all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just read it because I know it's like, a, what's his anarch concept? Um, I I don't know uh, Jünger very well, but I have started reading him a little bit recently. At we could wiki it at the suggestion <laughs> at the suggestion of Curtis Yarvin, in fact. Oh yeah. And uh, the from what I understand, that his concept of the anarch, it's it's something you would probably be into, Elliot. It's kind of like the mm-hmm. it's the it's it's like the radical individual who uh, doesn't allow society to, um, you know, control them or bring them down, but is able to maintain a kind of uh, enlightened, somewhat nihilistic, but kind of enlightened, uh, kind of detached objectivity and strong will, despite the yeah, the, the constraints I, and effeminization of society. I like it, but I think my idea is I think my idea is more sophisticated. Quite frankly, well, I probably didn't do it justice. No, I yes. think I think that's a good point in terms of oh, I enact the will, but that's good in and of itself. No, I think um, they might be right about the nature of reality, mm. but fuck them. Like ultimately, we're all sort of vying for our relationships to ideas and and, and their implications uh, via human relations, right? So. It's like I think just maybe maybe it's off, but going by what you said in terms of someone who's not affected by society, kind of like okay. you play with society. Society is yours essentially to a certain extent. That's the, like I want like radically you're a nihilist, but also in a very sense, society is yours. Well, do you want to like yell at people like do this, Justin, do that? Like suddenly, what happened to my society? I like so much now it's gone. Like it doesn't really work like that. That's not how. Um, but I think the idea that we're we're t- we're we have a multiplicity of ideas that we're that we're dialectically sort of engaging with, and we're engaging with on this macro, the macro stuff, and it's turning into the micro stuff. And it 
you know, you see it in maybe your own workplace or your own social groups okay. uh, of how that happens. I, I think, and then ultimately the being able to determine the idea is, is you, I, I don't think you're, it's just will. I don't think it's just desire of desire or will fold it back in on itself. The problem with will fold it back in is will to do what? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. The problem with modern nihilism is it's like the will to will. That's what Nietzsche says, right? The, it's yeah. just a will. It, it, it's a will. It has no object but to oh, yeah, will that itself. Is in, that is in will to power. But but it, even so, will to power, will to power over what to do what? I say, great. Everything is will to power towards because I don't need the power. Very. It's like what it's you. Ultimately, it's the power over the idea or your or your. Words it could be towards towards desire as such, but ultimately desire turns into, um, I guess the Lacanian term would be like signifiers. Well, I think the Spinoza answer here that I tend to go with is uh, it, it's the object of of everything is to essentially increase your capacities, you know, to to experience the 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 maximal increase of your capacities. Yeah, but he he was very much about he was a religious person. He he was very much about the capacity of reason. Period. But the affects, and I don't believe but in the that. affects also. No, it's not it's not reason. Primarily. It is no. He he wrote um he wrote specifically in an essay that it was that that he chose the life of reason and over the life of hedonism and other various things and that the pursuit of pure reason you okay. can almost say. And I think it's important because I think reason, but it, but I think a negative reason is necessary. And I don't mean in like a Hegelian sense, but in that psychoanalytic sense where you can, you hear other people's reason and you can sort of, um, you can sort of, you, you feel better when reason is sort of clicking in a way that's compatible with your will. Yes. And, you, yes. and so it goes back to that yes. psychological like, egoism bit. Right. Ultimately, it's psychological egoism, not reason as such, not morality as such, not tradition as such, not leftism as such. I like that. I yeah. like that. So yes, I, because there is a kind of rationalism that is becomes morbid and heavy and kind of uh, scholastic, and, which is not rational in, in some sense. And this is like the Frankfurt School also. Like There is a degree of rationality that becomes irrational and that you can actually, with a rational attitude, you can, you can sense and perceive that the kind of – uh, imbalanced over cultivation of mm. of a, a certain type of scholastic rationality actually starts to atrophy the body. It starts to atrophy the 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 senses. It, it starts to actually uh, constrain one's capacities, and that's ira- yeah. it's irrational to submit to that. That's that you could say that's is that what you mean by a kind of egoism? I, I, like I a, think I would love to see people's argument against my psychological egoism argument because I don't think there's a good one. And but say again what you mean by psychological egoism exactly is desire and survival sort of creating your value systems which sort of create various wills which are sort of expressed through language and ideas and mm. you're basically negotiating that in these various processes with other people. Um, now, so how do you dodge the kind of naturalist fallacy? Which often I think is associated with something like Evo Psych, where like essentially I don't, you know, no, you don't. Okay, I, I don't think um, the naturalist fallacy is this is more natural. I think what I consider, I think the signifier natural in terms of Hegel, I, I think of as outside of human perception. So, but I would say 
what I consider as the positive side of natural is is when you're when you're when you're work, the the qualitative that intuitive qualitative increase of of ex- existence and the actual sort of thing you're working through. Maybe natural isn't the right word, but if natural feels like um, when it's something not of reason, but rather of the human unconscious psychological egoism seems natural. You could okay. say, yeah, I, I wouldn't go to Schopenhauer and says everything has its will. Like inanimate objects have will. It's just, I, I just, I don't care. <laughs> that, I think that's why like triple O is so popular. Triple O, what's that? Object-oriented ontology? Oh, yeah, I don't really pay attention to any philosophy that started, like, within the past 20 years. So I I kind of see anything, like, any sort of, like, new sort of philosophical movement that happened in the past 20 years or so. I pay attention to. I take it, well, I just don't really believe that it's very real or valuable. I don't know. That might just be a kind of prejudice I have. It's kind of like. Except me. Uh, of course, yeah. Except Elliot's theory of Hegelian of psychological ego. There was there was another super chat. What we got another. Oh yeah, we super did the chat. we did the one before already. Here so is a one. super chat from Edmund Dantes for five bucks Canadian. Thank you, Edmund. What is your opinion of Henry George and other forms of more economic socialism, such as harbinger taxes, the whole radical markets crowd? So I don't know too much about Henry George. I lived in Philadelphia for some time, and apparently Henry George lived and worked in Philadelphia for some time because there are a bunch of uh, signposts uh, about Henry George in Philly. That's unfortunately most of what I know about Henry George I learned from the signposts in Philadelphia. So mm-hmm. I know that he was uh, really interested in like a land tax. That was like one of his major policy prescriptions, Yeah, if I recall correctly. Uh, do you know much about Henry George? No, I don't. But this is what I said. I aspire to be a craftsman of leftism. <laughs> And like ultimately, I think I'm more of like a psychologist. So I'm always open to learn. Like, tell me about Henry George. Yes. So yeah. unfortunately, that's all I really got on Henry George. I think um, if someone wants to educate us in the chat, they're more than welcome to. Radical but, markets. Um, yeah. Uh, the radical markets crowd, I'm not sure exactly who that even refers to. So sorry, Edmund. I'm going to, um, well, here's what we're going to do I'm going to wiki this. <laughs> radical, radical markets. We're just going to go straight from Wikipedia. I think I might know what the radical market stuff is. So th- th- it's like market <laughs> anarchism. Do you know about market anarchism? Tell, tell me more, Justin. Yeah, um, I'm kind of into it, honestly. I kind of learned about this through Edmund Berger, who's like an internet writer you might have come across. Yeah. He's a smart dude. And uh, he's, I think, more of a Marxist now. But the basic idea of market anarchism, I, what I argue in base Deleuze is that mm-hmm. Deleuze is a market anarchist, essentially. So essentially, you support markets against capitalism is the idea so the idea is that it's incorrect to think of markets and capitalism as the same thing as aligned as on the same side markets are kind of the social technology of liberation and freedom and it's where things escape social control and Mm -hmm. and kind of the domination and oppressiveness and inequality of of capitalism capitalism is, is kind of the uh, statification and kind of stultification of markets. Capitalism is what happens when certain market players become too dominant, and then they they crony up with the state and they 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 create uh, rent controls. And I don't like I don't know if I like that because I don't think um I think the state is so subservient to capital. Uh, the idea that the state is, well, that's is what, not that's what market anarchists would say is that that's the problem and that is a problem. No, but it's but it's it's not it's a secondary phenomena like the capital accumulations, the primary phenomena, and then the state sort of moves towards it if you can if you can accumulate i mean there's certain states that just sort of 
uh, take the money. But I, I don't know about that, the idea of separating capitalism with, um, with markets. I think there's maybe some, some trade truth to that, but, but, um, in terms of the commodity form, it's, you're still, you're still creating commodities. And eventually one of those people creating commodities is going to create a really good commodity and he's going to corner the market and you're going to have capitalism. And I don't think and a state will appear as like a shell as like a neoliberal shell, but I don't, I don't think that's, but uh, okay. So as an individualist and as an egoist, Elliot, you Mm -hmm. must have some, uh, kind of sympathy for kind of, uh, market trading. What must I have sympathy for Justin? Well, you, you must, (laughs) well, well, you, you, you must be more sympathetic to kind Mm -hmm. of market free market exchange than the average leftist, right? Cause you see that. Like an entrepreneur who oh, wants I have to no create, sympathy. No? but no. what about an entrepreneur who wants to create to make <laughs> money? Like, isn't that just being like that's their their psychological ego? I think I think you're cool. <laughs> well, what's, I, what's wrong with the entrepreneur who wants to make money if you're into egoism? What's uh, why should I care about Jeff Bezos? Jeff Bezos mm. had very interesting TED talks. Um, I'm right. like if you listen to him talk, very smart guy. Um, he runs warehouses and he thinks it's okay to pay people at the level he pays them at. I, I'd be fine with someone cutting off his head, <laughs> even though he, he prescribes to these universal ethical things. And mm. he, But he, he does treat his workers in a certain way. And if someone cut off his head, I would think, oh, nice. So I don't have sympathy for Jeff Bezos. Or... What about small entrepreneurs? <laughs> what about small entrepreneurs? Like, don't you want that as an egoist and as an individualist? Don't you want like individuals making things that are valuable to others? Well, like the idea of the hyper, like the, the my next book, The Ego and its Hyperstate is, um, it really, you really, you really cherry pick what you, what you want. And I think you, you should be, you, you shouldn't be afraid to be very vicious about it. Um, at least with with yourself, in terms of really step like I'm really stepping away from Kantianism. I don't believe in universalist ethics. I don't believe in categorical imperatives. I believe in cultural contingency, and I and I believe in the the egoist relation to cultural contingency because cultural contingency. Why should I pay heed to that either? But I think that's more real than Kant's. Uh, sort of proposition. Well, I think someone like Jeff Bezos yeah. is an individualistic egoist who doesn't give a sh- also doesn't give a shit about universal Great. ethics. And perfect. Just, perfect. Let's cut off his head. I see what you're saying. So hey, you kind Bezos, of regrets, nothing, pers- right. nothing personal. So, so you basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I get what you're this saying. This is a stream. Yeah, of, yeah. People are not happy with that. They don't well, like, they don't like, you're, 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 you're uh, talk about whatever you want. What are they saying? Oh, Jesus, dude. Whoa. Um, this is a stream of peace. So what you're saying, in other words, I sound is, like a generic Marxist. Well, no, you're kind of like a social war anarchist, which I'm into also. Like you, you kind of just you're not really um, condemning Jeff Bezos. You're just saying like no, oh, that you want to kill him. No, I oh, no, I would never want to be the person. Like imagine so chop off his head. I would. I'd be happy if someone chopped off. Oh, his I, head. See. I see. I would never do that. But you're kind of like <laughs> that's, that's your, very like, against myself. You, you basically that's not say, the tri- kind of life I'm okay, trying to live. Gotcha. Sorry, I didn't mean to misrepresent you. But no, you're but basically saying to each his own. I don't. But it's yeah. in my interest to, um, you know, see, to think to that. Take, yeah. yeah, I think the idea of land's idea of, is capital is intelligence. Um, capital is information. You can learn stuff from capital, and people are motivated. But ultimately, design like intelligence is in that problem solving capability is ultimately that better represented i'd say by cybernetic uh, egoic loops and i think ai is a cybernetic egoic loop in the end um if it involves capital it involves capital because that's maybe the fuel but you wouldn't call you wouldn't say if, actually 
actually gas is transportation. Like that's essentially the Nick Nick Land argument. Don't get me wrong. I hear him talk. I go, fuck, he's smart. Like, like if you hear him just talk, it's just like incredible. But, but I, but in terms of, I think there's a, if we reason out that capital is intelligence idea, it's, I would say egoic, a better description is egoic, um, egoic acceleration based on, based on, you know, you fully recognize the other person's right to want to fucking kill you. It's like, look, you want to kill me? Good. Let's, let's, let's fight. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's fight. Sometimes let's fight. It really is. It's all right. Yeah. But, you know, let's make it. I like a smooth space. I, you know. There you go. There you <laughs> let's, go. Let's, let's, what it, it's like, <laughs> reminds me of the, speaking of memes, what, what if we kissed on the accelerationist BW, BWO nuclear, nuclear weapon silo? <laughs> Just all the B, all the, all the, all the potato, all the potato authoritarian dictators murdering. <laughs> okay. Other. Okay. But the real but, question I think is how yeah. can I accelerate my ego? Uh listen make, make listen to it. I think well you can also more? well you can you can dialectically do it by by considering other people's egoic interests. Yeah. How so? Uh you can you can, if you if you consider other people's egoic interests as rational um, you can see what what are your what is your interest in relation to their interests, and I think that's that's sort of the idea of the union of egoists. And my idea is that you get orders within um, within. So you have the left, and then you have the Democrats, and then you have orders, or you have philosophy space, and then you have an order of sort of acceleration space. Or into, I would say we're sort of two different orders, maybe. Okay. In terms of the people that I have, I talk with, and the people you talk with. Some overlap, I think. But some overlap. Right. But you end up getting these orders of um, egoic interests that are mm. that are sort of, um, that's really the meso system. Okay. Just to, to some extent. Right. And I, I, I actually wrote a little bit about this, which was, you have party, you have, your, you have sort of your individual, then you have a party, and then you have an order within the party, and that's sort of inevitable. In terms of any time you take take a group, you'll have a subgroup. Um, recognizing these sort of egoic, for, these are egoic union formations, mm. and I think once you once you see the the Hegelian sort of uh, sublation or offbung of really how it's working with the techno dictator idea and with the sort of idea of orders in terms of like um, almost like. <laughs> not Illuminati. Illuminati's like I think the cultural Illuminati idea came from the very real fact that there's orders within parties. Okay. Uh, there's there's orders within police. There's orders within judges, and they control reality. They control the world. Orders control the world. It's true, and they're fighting each other. I like it. Um, and what we need to do is build unions of egoists to create our own orders. Absolutely. Right? And that's what you're doing, and that's what I'm doing. Absolutely, in different spheres that are yeah. now overlapping. Definitely, interesting. It's kind of like what I'm doing with my indie thinkers project. Like I'm kind of embracing a little bit more of an egoistic kind of attitude because it's essentially a business. Indiethinkers.org, this side project that I'm building right now. Yeah, and I'm basically what, what's happened is I've kind of just like thought to myself, what if I obviously I need to make money. I'm trying to make money, and what if one way to do this is I just basically carved out a separate thing, and that was like a business. And I'm going to kind of separate that a bit from my own personal creative philosophy projects. That way my 
creative philosophy projects don't get kind of weighted down with a yeah. kind of morbid, exploitative kind of business mentality. That's the hyperstate. That's like what I'm talking about when I ego the ego you mm-hmm. and it's hyperstate your businesses and all this thing and those are and the hyperstate yeah and that in, in terms of my sort of the zero the zero books ego book that I'm writing is this Hegelian approach to to egoism which Max Stirner I think failed at um, by get a pre psychoanalytic philosophy and it's really compelling poetics yeah but but it could be done better okay. Um, more multiple. Yeah, more, he's, he's more been impactful. on my list of something to read. I have never really read much Sterner, but people. I never always, tell people. I never even tell people read. Sterner. I said. I said read. I read Sterner, and that's enough for me. <laughs> I don't really yeah. pitch. Sterner. I don't really stand Sterner. Yeah, you don't stand him. No. Right. I um, feel like I got out of Sterner what I wanted out of Sterner. Well, I, I feel I like exciting, poetic, kind of like individualism sounds good to me. Like yeah. I probably enjoy that at this point in my yeah, life. It is not. All things are nothing to me. Fuck. <laughs> awesome. Not true though. <laughs> not is is it. Yeah, I think all things are in flux. I, it, dealing with the flux, right? Uh, has he read the last psychiatrist? Oh, yeah. Everybody loves the last psychiatrist that it? I talk to a lot more than I do. So what is it? It's a blog, famous, uh, famous uh, psychiatry blog. Oh yeah, yeah. someone sent me a link. Pseudo anonymous. He was You're not a huge fan. It's like kind of interesting. He's a little humanist. I don't like humanists. Noah Watson says ego accelerationism sounds like hell. That's fine, Noah, but you're doing it anyway. <laughs> oh yeah tim says morally why can't bezos cut off your head you, you would can. say he can't i right? say fucking try it jeff you embrace it uh, nice. yeah absolutely nice maybe he'll watch this dude <laughs> he probably could have you killed with impunity i wish he'd try it dude that'd be crazy if you if you went missing in a couple days and bezos i don't think i've seen him talk he, he's in watch his ted talk because if you really want to listen to um be a hegelian who's actually in power in this world you should listen to Jeff Bezos when he talks because he has a certain personality that's kind of interesting. Definitely. I like, um, what do you think of Peter Thiel? Peter Thiel. Kind of interesting. As he, I, I, I feel like every time I see him, all I could see is his little dog whistles but that, you, he's, that he thinks he's being so subtle about, which, he, which he is, of course. But have you listened to many of his talks? Uh, I've, I've seen him interviewed a few times. Yeah. Do you, do you think he's smart? He's smart. I think it's, I think it's, Politics Smart. are fascinating. I, I think he's, he's intellectually quite. Um, uh, I think he demands some respect as a, as an intellectual. I think it, what the stuff he says and and is thinking about is like pretty. Um, I'm very interested in that in like the Excel sphere, even though it yeah. is it is very different. Whenever I come face to face with with real alt alt right stuff, mm-hmm. I'm immediately struck very deeply by this. This is not my views. This really, yeah. Like I do have this fascination with reading, reading it. Mm-hmm. But like when I'm like in the the real of it, I'm just like this is that's not me. But but there is this there's something about it which is drawing that draws it draws the eye to it because well, it's good to have that contrast, kind of right? It's nice. Yeah. It's nice to have that feeling of this is not me. Yeah, that's illuminating. You know, yeah. like this is why reading just like academic left wing theory gets really fucking boring. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, if that's like all you're into, because if that's what you're into. You sometimes it's hard to really have that kind of like uh, energizing contrast of like what you're not. Yeah. And it sort of fits well. With, it's such a boring answer, but it's it's the correct answer is so boring, which is your beliefs are your beliefs because they're sort of you. They serve your psychological egoic mm. sort of identity and drives and desires and survivals and all that. Dude, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife is one of the richest women in the world just from divorcing him. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. It's pretty wild. <laughs> 
Jeff Bezos versus Peter Thiel in a knife fight. Ooh, I think Bezos has a crazy eye that Thiel doesn't. Thiel looks like I feel like Thiel, I could beat up Thiel. I wouldn't like. I don't know. If I he's think watching. Jeff Bezos is fairly puny and kind of uh, scrawny. I, don't, I mean, I feel like I'm a therapist in South Central. Lots of people are th- showing me how to throw punches. Yeah, you know, <laughs> lots of bouncers, lots of boxers. <laughs> I feel like this is. I feel like I feel like we should wrap it up. What do you think? Yeah, I'm yeah, that tired. sounds good. This was that good. sounds good. That was this like was, a couple hours, wasn't it? I don't know. I think an one or two. Not, yeah. I don't think it was more than two. Yeah. Um, I think it's not in my egoistic interest anymore. So I'm just going to cut you off here. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This uh, is no, fun, man. no, really. No, no. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kind of getting tired as well. Yeah. Uh, this was good though. Thanks for hanging out, everyone, and uh, thanks for the super chats, few of you. And uh, yeah, I guess there's. I don't know. What are we doing tonight? Maybe we can do like a live stream from the phone if we do we're something. We're gonna go. To, we're gonna go to a rave. Elliot, have you read Moldbug? Yes. We could do. We could go to a rave. I don't know the local rave culture though. I'm a boomer. Ba- like I said. Based or cringe says no. I don't know. I I ask myself, am I based or cringe? I ask myself this. Oh I yeah, think that's that, a game I started the, playing on my podcast. But the, I, I forgot the, to the do the right it. thing to do is like I've t- I've like when hanging out with other people from Accelerationosphere, they have such a they have such a such a based attitude, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like they're very self-confident. But they how tend- many of them have you hung out with? Oh, good question. That's I top, feel like that's, top secret, Justin. I feel like that. <laughs> I, I think you're generalizing from me, which is not a no, reliable. No, no, I'm generalizing from only a few people. Oh, okay, there are but, others. Yeah, but. Because um, um, some, some of them are based, but some of them. Are a bit uh, cringe. Well, I don't want to pass judgment. I don't really know. But yeah. there's definitely, I mean, in the acceleration sphere, just like all the other internet spheres, like there's a lot of just like bottom feeders and hangers on and ankle biters, like people who don't create anything and don't really think anything original. They just want to kind of like snipe at people on Twitter. Like every time someone actually writes something original at all, you know, whether it's good or bad, doesn't really matter. But I hate my, my major pet peeve and my kind of enemy on the internet is people who are probably fairly smart. They're probably fairly well-read, but they don't ever produce anything at all. They just like yeah. tweet or reply or comment on things in a generally negative attitude. That's essentially just uh, leaking resentment, uh, yeah. smeared with resentment all over it. And uh, I, I think that that kind that type of person uh, should be called out as rather pathetic. And I think they should be discouraged from participating <laughs> in the public sphere. What do you think about that? I think they have a lot. My therapist answer is: I think if you're doing that, you have a lot of potential. And I think. I think you're going to produce great things. And I know that you're going to produce great things in the future. Even if you feel like you're being very negative now, I can see it in you. That you will, that you will, you will come out the other side. I love that. I, I agree. I, 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 I agree with Elliot. I believe yeah. in you, internet hater, ankle biter. You can do better than this. I, I believe you have the potential. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, folks in the chat, uh, thanks for hanging out. As always, I appreciate your Often stimulating and constructive questions. Uh, not all of you, but uh, most of you. So to to the most of you who have been interesting and constructive in the chat, thank you for being with us. The rest of you, like those of you who just tell me to say the N-word or who make fun of my receding hairline, well, you know what? Even you, you're fine. You're, all, you're still welcome in my chat, and I pray for you. So. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone. Oh, yeah. Let me see if the TikTok got any views before you wrap up. Oh, yeah. Up. That's right. Um, I think there's like a lag in the reporting, though. Mm, unfortunate. Um, so it still currently says zero, but it's definitely not zero. Cause we'll have to a, update yeah, uh, so the next, your next stream. Just... I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, if anyone's on TikTok, don't follow me because it's going to be 
nothing but cringe for months while I figure out how to do it. All right. Bye, everybody. Wish you all the best. See you on the interwebs. Oh, subscribe to my channel. And if you're interested in the Indie Thinkers project I mentioned, there's a link below. And there's a link to oh, yeah, buy my book, book Zizek in the Clinic. In or the follow my blog. That's free. Yeah, if you click follow. follow. Blog. Is, you there, is, there an, is there an RSS feed? Can they subscribe? Yeah, they can. There they you can. go. Yeah. Mad Black Freud, right? Mad Black Freud. All right. All the links are in the description. Yeah. Thanks, folks. I'll see, you, I'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.